Hello and welcome listeners to episode 14 of your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast, IRL Game Chat, where we share our most intimate memories and opinions regarding the world of video games as we, we know, know it. it. I am your host, Joe Finley, and joining me as always, your amusing yet alarmingly analytical amnesia addict, Luke Shermer. <laughs> How are you, sir? Good. How are you? I have a massive headache. Yeah. But it's getting better and I took some Advil. This should be an interesting episode. It's kind of a funny time for each of us to record. Indeed. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> what have you been up to lately, Luke? What have you been playing? More DMC, actually. Okay. Um, so far, it's still fun. I am kind of seeing... <laughs> so far, that, it's uh, still fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, after we talked about last week, you know, I was wondering if maybe it was going to be not so good at some point. Some games are like that for me. They start out great, and then, meh. And then after I talk smack about them, you go back and go, <laughs> Man, this wasn't as good as I thought. Man. Makes me so upset inside. So is that it? Um, I actually loaded Amnesia today and then just didn't play it. I, like, <laughs> right, I started right. the game and um, yeah, I played maybe two minutes. I'll tell you though, I can't wait for it. How are those two minutes? Just, <laughs> just like the first game, they leave so much to the imagination. Okay. The game paints a such horrific atmosphere. Interesting. The Chinese room, they're masters of their craft. Yes. Well, they didn't work on the original as it turns out, they joined in to co-develop this game, and that is all. Oh, okay. So, I've heard some interesting things, and I've read every review on the internet involving war pigs. A machine for pigs. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just think it's funny because people keep like just saying random things, pigs, and war pigs is a Black Sabbath song. So. Word. So, I am interested in hearing your opinion on it, considering you were such a fan of the original yeah, so far it's it's looking like it's going to be that same kind of an experience. Okay. And when I was done with Amnesia, I wanted more Amnesia. Right, yeah. right. You wanted... <laughs> I wanted to forget everything. Again, and more, and always. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's when I was done, I was like, is there a DLC? No. I didn't really play just Justine because um, yeah, it felt a little bit different to me. Okay. I wanted more Amnesia, you know what I mean? Right, right. So, but yeah, and this is looking like it's going to be that same kind of an experience, so. Okay. Looking forward to it. So what was that free game that I had you install? Yeah. So what did you think of Sepulcher? Yeah, it was uh, kind of not what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to be scared by it at all. I think mostly just because of the way that the game looks. Right. You know? Um, but it, it's got such an eerie vibe to it. It actually, uh, when I was <laughs> finished, I tweeted, uh, finally an indie title that makes me afraid of dirt. Hashtag Sepulcher. Right. So did you know was, anything uh, about the game before you installed it? No, nothing at all. I just loaded it up. Okay. I knew that it took about half an hour to complete. So it was something that I could finish before I had to go to work that day. So I sat down and went through the whole thing. It's not it's not a difficult game at all. There are actually times where just because of the design, it's difficult to progress because you don't know how to access your inventory until you just randomly move the mouse around the screen. <laughs> Interesting. It's at the top, by the way, for anyone who's trying to play this game. You have <laughs> okay. to move your mouse to the top and then you can click on stuff and then use it on you know uh, different things that are in the environment. Hmm, okay. Um, that was actually where I got stuck, <laughs> which was <laughs> funny. The game doesn't really have any puzzles okay. to speak of. Um, it's more of just a journey game. Interesting. Painting this really, really creepy Stephen King-esque kind of world. Hmm. I think you'd like it. I would like to give it a shot for sure. I mean, I've kind of already had the game spoiled for me. I read and watched things about it okay. so that I could feed it to you. 
Oh, okay. you know? it's easy because you know yeah. you can load up YouTube clips, watch ten minutes, and then you've yep. seen like half the game. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. So, what did you think then? You uh, you enjoyed it then? I did. Yeah. Okay. It has absolutely no replayability value. Right. Right. Um, unless I guess if you feel like you missed something along the story, or you kind of want to get and uh, hear that line of dialogue one more time, right? So that you can better understand the arc. Hmm. If there is one, I still don't even <laughs> get that. Game. It's okay. Weird man. All it's right. Weird, but it's good. All right, so this is, uh, where do you get this game? You have to go to the website for the dev, actually. That's the only place to get it. Okay. They're called The Owl Cave. All right, but it's a free download. Free download. Anyone um, out there? You, that, uh, oh. If you want, you can pay $3 for a version that has a few extra things on it. Oh, right, it gives you like a digital art book. and Yeah, and, and here's the funny thing. You cannot actually donate to the dev team. When I was done, I wanted to send them five dollars. Right. I wanted to just send them five bucks, just straight up. But I had to buy something worth three dollars <laughs> that I didn't want to do that. Right. And the funny part is, I looked on some of the comments for uh, for this thread, and people mm-hmm. were saying, "Why don't they have donate? Why do you have to buy this this weird version of the game that I don't want?" <laughs> so right. It's like I think there's a lot of people out there that felt the same way. That's interesting. It's definitely a weird weird bu- business model. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Huh. Okay. So yeah, if you are a PC user out there and you have not heard of this game, which you probably haven't, and you haven't played this game, which you probably haven't, (laughs) it's a free download. Go check it out. 25 minutes of your time. Give us your thoughts. We're interested to see uh, what the general population has to say about this quirky kind of indie game. Yeah, because I'd like to have a discussion about it. Yeah. But nobody's played it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So yeah, play it, guys, and uh, let's talk because I'm interested to see how you guys feel. Word. So Joe, what have you been playing? Well, aside from the fact that I've been sinking a ton of time into The Last of Us, as per usual. Right. I, for a clan tonight, I believe? Uh, Yeah, kind of. It's kind of. complicated. Yeah? How did it go? Well, I managed to get retweeted with my PSN name mentioning The Last of Us by an account that just retweets people that are enjoying The Last of Us. Okay. And I was saying, hey, if anybody wants to you know, have someone on their team that's not a total D-bag and likes to have fun and is a team player add me here's my PSN yeah and so I got retweeted by this account called Joel Ethan Miller basically (laughs) nice (laughs) and uh, I got a few interesting ads and messages so I decided to try playing with this guy and his quote-unquote clan not that they're not a clan but they're an interesting sort they seem like Pretty fun guys, I guess, but they're very strict on the way that they want to do things. Their hmm. clan name, I can't remember, involves like blaze or fire or burn or something. And that's because they all carry flamethrowers and they really wanted me. They were urging me to also carry a flamethrower. I don't know. I had okay. th- I had this kind of like tryout where I-, I played a random match and in that random match, I made two new friends and then quit out. And those two people just jumped into my lobby. And they were just like, hey, let's keep playing. Hello. And here are my tagalongs. And then that guy joined and was like, so you want to be in the clan, huh? And they were all like, what? What's going on now? What's happening? <laughs> and so we played a match where he was trying to determine whether or not I was skilled enough uh-huh. to be in his clan. <laughs> and it didn't go so well. I mean, it, it went okay for me, but he didn't do well. Yeah. I, either way. So then after the match, after like two of them, we back out again, and he's like, make me the party leader so we can jump in with this guy who's our clan leader. And I was like, okay. So we do that. We jump in with this guy. We start a match, 
and it's survivors, which is my least favorite match type that exists in this game. It's just like a... What you have to do is it's just 4v4, and then when everyone on one team is dead, that's the end of one round. So like DM style then? Kind of. Except um, like... No respawns or anything. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And then, so this guy died twice with no downs, no executions, and just quit. <laughs> and I was like, uh, we just lost this guy. And he was like, oh, really? So then we played out the rest of this match. That guy ended up quitting at the end of the match and turning off his PlayStation clearly because he wasn't online anymore. So we were like, okay, he didn't want that to count against him, I guess. <laughs> okay. And then I get a message from him that says, he's going to consider you and think about it. And I was like, <laughs> I played with this guy for like 30 seconds and he basically rage quit out of our match. So... You guys are a but lot of fun. If you're lucky, you can rage quit along with. You. Yeah. The funny thing was is that those other two guys that were me- sending me text messages during this whole like lobby was happening saying like wow, this clan seems like a lot of fun. <laughs> um I had a lot of fun with those guys and I went on to play like 8 or 10 matches afterwards. So uh, uh that's whether that's or not steep i story of stories i like that <laughs> yeah right and whether or not i joined this supposed clan <laughs> we'll see but i did I, it for the lulls yeah i just I, I guess i'm i'm having more fun meeting random people online and just enjoying their company and being a goofy fun person with these people mm. on the fly although on the converse of that we ran into a lobby where we played these guys like five times back to back and at least half of those times they absolutely destroyed us. Mm. We played supply raid and we lost like 15 to nothing, you know, so they lost like five guys and we lost 20. Oh, at least three out of six matches that we played. Yeah, and then the rest of them were kind of close. Pretty bad. Most matches um, that I see that are like that, you're on the winning side. Well, I mean, I don't mind losing. What bothers me is that Every time we lose, there was this one guy that was like, we just spanked these niggas and, you know, like, no, no joke. They were like really abrasive and like, I said good game and the guy basically like yelled back at me saying like, you can't say good game after taking losses like that. And I was like, why? I'm just saying, hey, it was a good competition. You guys won. It was, it was good. It's, It's not often that I run into a group of people that I absolutely cannot win against. Right, so right. it's fun for me, at least, to have that kind of competition. Yeah, otherwise you get bored, and it's like it's like uh, Greg was saying like two nights ago about how he can change the settings for uh, Rome Total War. Right, but if he does it to an extent where he's just winning every single battle, then it gets really boring. Like he he, he likes it when he takes a loss every now and then because it forces him to kind of refine a strategy. Right, right. That's so good. yeah, it's, uh, growth in the game. Yeah. So that was interesting because by then we were all getting frustrated that we were getting like yelled at by these guys in between every match. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't end on the most positive note. We were all like, all right, we're done for the night. That's it. Right. But oh, well, I had fun. I'll play with those guys again. I made some friends. It was nice. cool. That's good. But the number one thing that needs to be mentioned yes. is NHL 14 came out today. Right. First of all, okay, there was a reward that you get from beating the demo tournament mode that was within the demo and you get that reward when you get the full game it gives you these bonus packs for players and cards and stuff for the hockey ultimate team oh yeah okay so i stayed up until quarter to five in the morning playing (laughs) just in an effort to finally beat it so so i finally beat that 
and got to sleep for a few hours and then got up and went and bought NHL 14 with Brandon. And I spent most of the day playing it, aside from The Last of Us, of course. And I can say for certain that it is the most refined, most accurate, most technically sound NHL game I've ever played in pretty much all aspects. Does it have its flaws? Yes, absolutely it does. And there are lots of things that weren't quite corrected from previous issues from past games. But mm-hmm. I can say this for sure. This is my favorite NHL game to date. Nice. That's good. I mean, it doesn't hurt that I'm undefeated in Hockey Ultimate Team so far out of five games. And that <laughs> in my Be a Pro, I'm tied for second in the, the entire league with goals and points. Yeah. It's good that you, that you like the game because I remember um, you had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bad things to say about the uh, 2013 title. Oh, absolutely. It's basically the same as, what, 2012 and 2011, and they just kept rehashing it and not making any improvements. Well, to a degree. I mean, people always claimed that it was a $60 roster update, essentially, but okay. they made lots of adjustments over time and added little gameplay elements like pinching people against the boards didn't exist until, I think, two games ago. And then last year, you could start battling in front of the net to screen the goalie and stuff, which oh, okay. is not perfect. They still have problems with the fact that you'll get glued to that guy. So, you know, the puck <laughs> will slide past you and you'll want to go get it, but you're stuck getting bumped into in front of the net. So there's like magnets holding you there. There's it's like, like five feet away from you and you just you're just stuck on this guy. <laughs> yeah. But the new physics, as far as the true performance skating goes, real time collisions the new fighting that is uh, using the Fight Night technology is really impressive. And I think that it's a huge, significant step up in the way that most NHL games are not a significant step. And like I said, it has its flaws, but I feel like this is a perfect example of how it has reached its true potential of what this gen could handle. Okay, There's just so much going on in the world of hockey. It's so fast-paced. There's so much happening as far as the AI goes, as far as collisions go and physics, that the system just simply can't do everything. Okay. So does the crowd look ridiculous, like it's the f- same four people modeled over and over again through the whole crowd? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> it doesn't look authentic at all. Right. Do the openings look perfect yet? No. Does everyone have the right modeled face that should be them in real life? No. But I'm l- willing to let these things slide because there are so many improvements and so many tiny adjustments that I can feel playing the game that I'm willing to accept the fact that clearly there's just too much going on for the game to yeah. run efficiently. I mean, in the end, the thing that really matters is how the game plays. Yeah. I think. Especially for, you know, a game that's supposed to be a simulation. Yeah, for I, sure. You know, I mean, you can play a hockey game, but if you swing a pass really close to the net and the goalie dives in like some totally stupid direction mm-hmm. that no professional goalie would ever do. And then people find little exploits to like win games and it becomes not so much about hockey. Right. And it just becomes this kind of like memorization game of ping pong, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways, you know, and it's clear to me what a vast improvement this game has made on all of these tiny little elements when I see people like Brandon playing it. And Brandon is used to exactly what worked to help him win in the past. Right. And with last year's game, He had an exact strategy for each play, for everything he was going to do. And when I say exact strategy, I mean check every single player, dive all over the place so you can't get the puck past downed bodies on the ice, (laughs) and just throw the puck at the net from any angle, no matter how accurate or not. There's a chance that it'll just end up in front of the goal and you'll be able to put it in. Right. And all of these things are now making it nearly impossible for him to win. 
Mm. Because now when he goes to check every single person, he's pulling that man out of position. And the rest of the CPU adjusts to that. Now I have an open slot. And, oh, wow. You know, okay. So there are major AI improvements. Then. Oh, absolutely. That's good. And it's the first NHL game in ages where I've really felt like the right positioning, the right snap judgments and decision making, and the right smart play to be made actually wins me the game. Nice. Rather than making it frustrating and difficult, and I have to beat these people that are just mashing buttons, basically. Mm-hmm. And the fighting, although people are going to hate it, it allows for people that do not just mash the joystick to like pound straight into their face like rock'em sock'em robots <laughs> to actually win fights against people that are doing that. That's funny because I remember you used to try to fight like that. You used to try to fight smart and you would end up just getting your ass beat by some dude that was just like throwing the analog stick back yep. and forth and back and forth. Punch, 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 punch. <laughs> yeah. No hockey player ever does that in a hockey fight. It's right. all about positioning because you don't want to take a punch to the face. Right. <laughs> you you believe yourself to be pretty fat, fragile. You want to dominate that fight. Right. And so in a lot of ways, whether it's balance, whether it's dodging correctly and making sure that the heaviest punches aren't hitting you square in the face, right. you know, little things like that that you adjust to so that you don't take those hits in real life. But in a hockey game, there's no real repercussions for that. So it's like, <laughs> you know, people are fine with taking punches to the face as long as they deliver more punches than they receive. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in this game, the ability to, if you dodge at the right time, you'll throw them off balance and then be able to yank them down to the ice. And that'll count as a win for you, even if you didn't, weren't able to throw a single punch on him. And a lot of people are going to feel like it's pretty cheap. But... Now you have a defense against that guy who's just mashing the punch button. If he's telegraphing that, then you can use that to your advantage to play defensively and set him off balance. And in the yeah. other way, you can set him off balance and then throw counter punches, which will then screw up his momentum of just mashing punches back to back. Right, right. You know, yeah. and like I said, it's it comes off as cheap, I guess, at first. But for somebody like me, it makes more sense because I constantly mm. get into fights with guys that are small. And with the new fight night technology, if you're small, you're pretty much overwhelmed by the big guy who can just like haul you around and do whatever. Right. But yeah. now the ability to have some way to kind of tactically play defense during a fight so that you don't get your ass kicked for no reason whatsoever, you know, just because right. some guy ran in to punch the living hell out of your face, <laughs> you know, which is not what hockey fights are about there. And, and in this game. Yeah, there's some moments, you know, like every time you lay a really big hit that's way too big of a hit that doesn't get called for a penalty, the enforcer on the other team immediately starts to fight with you. <laughs> yes, we all have problems with that. That makes no sense. Right. Their fights should not be happening that simply and that often. Right. Like how many times during like the four games that I played did that happen? Probably once every five minutes one of those fights began. Whoa. And that's bad because then you get handicapped, right? Well... You won't like you get a power play, right? No, you won't get penalized. But what will happen is that the person who wins the fight gets a momentum swing. So now, oh, okay. now the idea is that in the event that this happens, you have a way to kind of get out of and win the fight because your bar is no longer considered your health bar. It's considered your stamina bar. And so when someone dodges your punch and yanks you around, it's considered knocking their stamina down. Oh, okay. In the same way that punching them in the face would also knock their stamina but down. so like fighting isn't a penalty anymore then basically it is if you instigate but the rules okay. on that are kind of hazy and the third man in rule and they're so if, if, the, if the enforcer goes in then your team doesn't get a penalty 
Because I feel like that could suck that like your AI is like handicapping you. You know what I mean? Right. And in real life, the the person who instigates the fight, like if somebody flies across the ice to start a fight with somebody. All right. Take for example, okay? When you throw your gloves off, it's a five-minute major right there. You go sit in the box for five minutes. Your team isn't penalized on the ice. You still have all the players on the ice. But that guy goes oh, and sits okay. down for five minutes. All right. Okay. So every time you lay somebody out, your guy also throws his gloves off. Go sit in the box. For what? In real life, that guy could be like, whoa, get away from me. I'm not taking this fight. Right. He could just lay that guy out and then just skate away, get off onto the bench. You right, know? Right, yeah. But in the game, it's like, okay, I'm ready for a fight. No, you're not. You are the tiniest guy on the ice. And the <laughs> biggest guy on the ice is coming to fight you. You shouldn't be accepting it just like, okay, gloves off. Five minutes. It Lemmings. makes no sense. Well, well, we'll get more into this with uh, Mr. Robbie because he's got quite a few things to say involving the new NHL title. And he just got some uh, some hands-on time with it tonight that'll really uh, give him a chance to have an informed opinion. So, good, Mr. Robbie is our roommate, by the way. <laughs> just so I'm not just like saying random names and people are like, oh, okay, sure. Not to be confused <laughs> with Mr. Rogers. Right. Anyway, so some stats for last month. Sony re- revealed their list detailing what games proved to be the most popular on the PSN downloaded. The top 20 are... DuckTales Remastered, Payday 2, Journey, Madden NFL 25, Dragon's Crown, Saints Row 4, Max Payne 3, Tokyo Jungle, Far Cry 3, GTA 4, Castle Crashers, The Last of Us, Dive Kick, Rayman Origins, Battlefield 3, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Blacklist, Defiance, Tales of Zillia, Magic 2014, and Skullgirls. That is a lot of titles. Indeed. That is 20, specifically. Yes. It's the top 20. Yes. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. First of all, some of those were on sale. Journey was obviously on sale. Yeah. Cool to see The Last of Us on there. Yeah. Very cool to see The Last of Us sticking in there at 12. Very cool to see Saints Row 4 at 6. Mm-hmm. But number one, DuckTales Remastered? <laughs> I'm kind of taken back, to be honest, because although, yeah, some people were really talking about this title, how many people felt such nostalgia that they felt like they needed to play some HD remake of this game? I mean, I played DuckTales on Nintendo, for sure. I loved that game. It was one of my many favorites as a kid. I have absolutely no idea what DuckTales is. Yeah, right? And many people don't know what DuckTales is. And meanwhile, it's number one. Yeah, that's I, it's nuts. Not, it's on, it'll be on XBLA September 11th. Is that like um, the Mickey Mouse universe? No. Okay. It's like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> with Huey, Dewey. And Scrooge McDuck. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Scrooge McDuck is the rich guy, and Huey, Dewey, and Louie are his nephews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memories. Yeah. I, I think I watched the show. Did you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I watched a lot of stuff when I was a kid, but I might have. Anyway, I'm thinking about it and smiling, <laughs> so I probably did. <laughs> probably. But it's cool to see uh, Payday 2 at number two, and Journey at number three, considering it's been out for so long. Pretty much everyone should just play Journey. Journey is amazing. Journey was up for Game of the Year for a reason, for sure. Yeah, I didn't play that either. Well, you were an Xbox guy, so I guess we can let that slide for now. I know. It's just a shame to have missed so many great titles. It is a shame. Way to go. Oh, Luke. Idiot. (gasps) So, in this week's Wii Woes... Wii Woes... (laughs) Nintendo experienced a significant drop in stock shares after being excluded from the Nikkei NIKKEI 225 stock average, resulting in its biggest slump in more than two years, Bloomberg reports. 
Shares of the company fell 8.4% to 10,860 yen in Tokyo. Nintendo previously gained 31% following expectations of its stock being added to the Nikkei, Japan's most widely quoted average of Japanese equities. However, it failed to be promoted in the annual index review, as was expected by market analysts. In a report referenced by Bloomberg, the uh, BNP Paribas SA analyst Teko Suzuki stated, We believe Nintendo's shares have been overvalued due to speculative demand on the assumption that they would be included in the Nikkei. This whole thing is so sad, man. It's Nintendo. Mm. I mean, they are such a staple. They are. Look what's happening. Yeah, what is happening? Explain it to us, Nintendo. Tell us. What are we doing here? You obviously have a a two-dimensional thing coming out. You've got stuff for sale. With all those two dimensions and stuff? Yeah. So, on September 20th, the Wii U Facebook page is changing its name to Nintendo Console Gaming. That is a very Mm -hmm. odd email that everyone that is a fan of the page received that said, and I quote, a page you like Wii U is changing its name to Nintendo Console Gaming. So, are you thinking what I'm thinking? They couldn't be changing their name, could they? No, but I can see their strategy. Really? What do you think? Well, it's kind of to say, well, first of all, it's reinforcing that they have a console. With all this talk of the Xbox One and the PS4, they're being overshadowed. I guess. So I think that's the first part of it. Do you think there's a name confusion? I mean, the Wii is still on the market as well. I'm wondering if maybe a big problem with the Wii U so far is that you can go into the store and see the Wii and the Wii U side by side. That's like if the PS2 and the PS3 were out, but they didn't have numbers. They had a letter separating them. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just to kind of get people excited to be playing a console made by Nintendo. You think so? I think that's really the bottom line of what they're going for. September 20th. Why September 20th? I don't understand that date either. They've been traditionally weird with dates. Yeah, I mean, it's just... it. (laughs) It doesn't yeah. quite fit into anything that's going on in the industry. Right. It's just on its own. It's doing its thing. Yeah. I don't know, man. So in the lead up to launching their next generation consoles, Sony and Microsoft have made strong declarations that their respective platforms will be home to a wealth of indie games and the freedom for smaller developers to self-publish. The other big console player, Nintendo, has been comparatively quiet on that front. Mm. Nint- Nintendo already has similar policies in place. It just doesn't have the same level of awareness, in part because it hasn't been delivering its message during E3 and Gamescom, of course. Yeah. What Nintendo does have is some confusion about its stance on indie games, self-publishing, and content restrictions on what can come to the Nintendo eShop. I think it's weird. If I had an an indie studio, what incentive would I have to design for the Wii U? Wouldn't it be a little bit more obnoxious trying to work with the controller and all that stuff? Maybe. Unless you're strictly designing your game to be a game that functions with that gamepad specifically. I know. and But that's kind of my point is like, why? Why not just, you know, develop for the PS4 instead? You, you do have a similar kind of indie audience with both of those consoles. Nintendo. Por qué? <laughs> <laughs> uh, indeed. Yeah, I don't know. So the biggest news happens to revolve the PlayStation Vita. Now, we saw over the weekend the new PlayStation Vita that's being released in Japan. First of all, this is in Japan only. We have no, it's all speculation that it may potentially come to the West. We're not exactly sure. 
just like the price drop to the Vita and everything, which right. hasn't actually come to the United States yet. We're hoping for things, but we're not 100% sure yet. This thing called PlayStation Vita TV could be an interesting game changer. Sony surprised the world with this PS Vita TV, which is a $99 or $150 console that plays PS Vita games and offers remote access to the PS4. But the rapid one more thing style announcement may have left some confused about what the system does, of course. Perhaps the biggest allure of the Vita TV is the capacity to remotely stream games from the PS4 on a shared local Wi-Fi network. With remote play, PS Vita TV promises to allow players to extend PS4 gameplay experiences to any room in their home without having to move the console itself. Aside from this, we also have the ability to stream our games directly to the television that we want to play it on straight off of our Vita. Right. We're basically starting to see, using Gaikai and using these new peripherals, the ability to kind of work the Vita and the PS4 into one ecosystem and work it in any way you want throughout your home. Any, right. any way you want to play your game, whether it be for the Vita or the PS4, you can play it. And I love the idea of playing Vita games on a TV personally because there are many games that I think personally would benefit from being played with a DualShock controller on a big screen TV. Absolutely. I, you know, I think I've said this before. One thing that kind of turns me away from the Vita is that I'm holding the controller and the screen all in one. And I kind of, I, I want to feel like the controller is something that I'm not really conscious of. You know, okay. it's just, it's kind of, it's like my medium between me and the game, but it's not like right there in my face. You right. know, I, I don't want to see my hands while I'm playing the game. <laughs> you know? Okay. But, it, but this kind of gives an opportunity where you can play a Vita game. You don't have to do that. Yeah. So this seems really lucrative, first of all, for Sony, because they're looking for reasons to make the Vita more consumer friendly. Right. So with this, they also showed off the new Vita, like I said, available in Japan. First of all, it's a white Vita. I don't know if that matters to anybody. Interesting. Personally, I like the black. I think black just looks better for electronics than flat white. Yeah. I don't know. Shiny white. Like, yeah. And smudges if your fingerprints are, you know, if you got Cheeto fingers, you're screwed. Oh. Now it's now it's an orange and white Vita. I saw the nastiest photo online. Of what? Like a year ago. Of It was a picture of, a, of this fat kid holding a uh, uh, Xbox controller. Mm-hmm. And it, on the bottom it says, okay, dude, it's your turn. And his hand is so covered in Cheeto slime that it's, it's, you can see it like coming off of the, like the edges of his fingers. Oh. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. Oh, it's man. one of the grossest things I've actually ever seen. <laughs> That's terrible. Respect your controllers, damn it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Especially if you expect other people to play them. Keep your food and your gaming separate, okay? Yeah. I know that's hard for gamers. You know, you want to hold yourself up in a room. Hot pockets. Ha- and- have your snacks, your soda, all of your things that could potentially ruin all of your hardware in one way or another. Yeah, just use spoons and forks. <laughs> Be civilized, gents. On top of that, the new Vita is going to incorporate some internal memory. It's not enough to really substitute memory cards, but in my eyes, I guess this looks more like they want to keep people from thinking that it's a multi-step purchase. That it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I want to buy a Vita. Do I get the 3G plan? Now I have to sign up with AT&T for it? Mm-hmm. Okay, do I want storage space? There's no internal storage space, so I need to buy a memory card. Okay, right. so I buy a memory card. Now I need to buy games. It's just so many steps in the process that it turns people away from the experience of actually purchasing the damn thing in the first place. <laughs> right. So I, I guess I can see that. 
like I said, it's not enough for you to not want a memory card, but they are releasing also a 64 gig memory card and dropping prices of memory cards, which is great because they're proprietary and way overpriced, tremendously overpriced. So considering the number of Vita games that come out that are pretty awesome, I mean, I'm hearing great things about the new Killzone. They're saying Mm -hmm. that it is the handheld first person shooter experience that we've all been waiting for essentially nice and uncharted golden abyss was seriously well reviewed and loved by everybody as a perfect iteration of uncharted on a handheld device on the vita good to hear aside from that we have all these indies obviously things like mirasaki baby yeah that is going to specifically incorporate touch controls and be developed for the vita you know and when it comes to things like this tearaway is another one yeah yeah looking forward to that and now getting that to an audience where you can now play it on your TV. So now you don't just have, okay, you can take your console game onto your Vita and wander around the house with it, whatever, and keep playing. If somebody wants to use the TV, if you want to go use the bathroom and spend an hour in there on your Vita, whatever floats your boat. Now you have the exact opposite as well. So you have these titles that are specifically catered to the Vita that now you can experience on bigger screen for people that aren't really too keen on playing every game on their Vita. Maybe, right. the, maybe the Vita is more of a on-the-go experience for them. I mean, we'll have cross-buy in the future, but until we do, we have things like The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead was one of the top 10 downloaded Vita games last month, the whole season one. Nice. Good. And that's great. But what if maybe you, you know, you're playing it and then you get home from work, you get home from wherever you are, and you want to transfer that straight onto your TV and keep playing but jump it onto the TV. Now you have that with this adapter device, you know, with this Vita TV. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Another way to look at it, something that I've been thinking about, and I want your opinion on this. Do you think this could cause issues with maybe Android console competition? Like take, for example, think of it this way. You know, we have the Ouya, we have the Game Stick, we have the whatever the Amazon one is going to be. All of these competitors for the android gaming market that Mm. is trying to capture the casual audience so you have these android games you have them on your phone you have them on your tablet now experience them on your tv cross save potential maybe whatever now you have the ability to have your vita have all these handcrafted designed experiences for your vita and be able to bring those over to your tv right as well as anything that you're using on your vita so if you're using uh, specific capture devices or streaming services? Yeah, I mean, that's, an, that's a really interesting question. There's a lot of angles to it, um, especially since, you know, we're just talking about the uh, scumbagginess of uh, Ouya mm-hmm. on Kickstarter and, you know, just all, all, all kinds of weird things. So I think that the Android market is kind of in a strange place right now to begin with. Right. Having said that, though, I'm not really sure it's going to affect it so much because in order for people to be using this piece of hardware, you know, they have to be people who are already um, into games enough to buy a system like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people that would be buying the Ouya are not in the same grain. They're much more casual. To a degree, I suppose, yeah. So I don't think it's going to affect it too much. I guess know? the way that I'm looking at it is that people that look for a handheld experience, because I can't say that those people are specifically casual gamers, because I'm not by any means what I would consider a casual gamer, but I want to play games on the go. I want a Vita for those handheld experiences, and I would take it with me everywhere. If I had a job that had longer commutes, granted in the city that we live in, it's not really much of an issue, but when I lived in New York, I was constantly spending upwards of three hours a day just commuting 
And in that time period, what did I do? I played dumb flash games on my phone. Right. Because back then, Android hadn't really taken off to have these amazing experiences that they now have. Right. Now, if I could bring my Vita with me and then come home and then use it on the TV, would that take me away from Android gaming and make me not want an Android tablet? Maybe. Mm -hmm. That might skew my decision a little bit there, you know, and, and the way that I'm looking at it. So it's interesting. There's a lot to be said about it. We'll really have to see where it goes from here. I mean, obviously, we're starting to see the beginnings of the groundwork of what Gaikai really is going to be for the next gen for Sony. Yeah. And we weren't sure at first when they bought Gaikai, when the acquisition went through. We were kind of speculating that it would be the way to stream old games, and that's it. So backward compatibility would come straight from streaming from a server directly to your system. Mm -hmm. So that that way, they wouldn't have to worry about recoding things and taking a game that was developed for cell technology to work on an x86 system. So, I don't know. Gaikai is doing some interesting things, that's for sure. Yeah. Which topic do I go to next? Well, since you brought it up, the Ouya's Kickstarter. Okay, well, we had some some interesting developments come up with that Free the Games campaign, which we obviously mentioned last episode, which we obviously mentioned even an episode before that. Not exactly sure what was going on with some of those possible fraudulent accounts. Well, as it turns out, Ouya is not going to suspend or alter the Free the Games fund. In fact, the founder said, Recently, the intention behind our Free the Games Fund to provide additional funding to crowdfund to crowdfunded to crowdfunded games bound for Ouya and enable developers to make more of them seems to have been lost. This response surprised us. We thought this was going to be great. How could it not be? Now, of course, the Free the Games Fund offered the pool of million dollars matching the funds based on you know mm. uh, whatever it raised. Elementary, my dear Holmes, was suspended on Kickstarter right. following the allegations that the pledges were fake. The founder went on to say, in launching this campaign, we've been called everything from naive and foolish to crazy and idealistic. This is not the first time we've been called any of that. Maybe we're naive, and yes, we're definitely idealistic. It's gotten us this far. We believe still that great games from great developers can be discovered this way by you. On Twitter, she's been a little more concise, saying just simply, no, we are not changing the Free the Games Fund. We are sticking with it. Gridiron Thunder, another Free the Games Fund title under suspicion was successfully funded on September 8th. An UI representative told us that the project met all guidelines and would receive the match. There are now a total of nine games live on Kickstarter involved in the Free the Games Fund, and Ermin, the founder, encourages people to support them. Elementary My Dear Holmes does not make her list, of course. Because mm-hmm. so, she got found out. Well, it's hard to say, because at this point, we don't really know who created those accounts, where that money is coming from, it could be right. the, the thousands of dollars. I mean, I don't know. Well, Gridiron Thunder is under the same scrutiny. You know, they were averaging between nine hundred and a thousand dollars per funder. Right. You know, that's insane numbers. Yeah. How many people were really like, okay, I really want this one game on the Ouya. Let's throw nine hundred dollars at it. <laughs> <laughs> what? It just seems absurd. You know, it seems way over the top. Little ridiculous, even maybe. Right. So I guess the thing to take away from this is that Ouya is not claiming responsibility at all for whatever's happening. We're not even completely sure what's going on with Elementary My Dear Homes yet. I, ge- I guess we'll find out in the future. Right. Which, uh, I, I don't know. We've already talked about the Ouya at length and its possibilities and its downfalls. So Right. 
in the event that things sound a little bit different, it's because I had to turn a fan on because it is between 80 and 90 degrees with somewhere between 70 and 80% humidity right now. And it's we, pretty bad. we recorded in an attic. Yeah. We're clearly masochists of our trade. <laughs> it's a nasty. Yeah. So as far as Sony is concerned and their recent decisions to implement new pieces of hardware into the ecosystem of our technological gaming world, Sony has unveiled the 1,300-pound HMZ T3 personal viewer headset. First of all, 1,300 pounds is somewhere in the ballpark of 1500 to $2,000. Yeah, that's money, by the way, not uh, weight. Yes, yes, absolutely. You strap a 1,500-pound <laughs> yeah. in your face. This is probably going to cause some minor spinal issues and or back pain and or face pain and or every pain and or a loss of flesh so this is the third generation of its hmz personal viewer headset tech the t3 which contains two 720p oled displays for 2d and stereoscopic 3d content and it accepts a wireless 60 gigahertz hd transmission the lithium battery holds a three-hour charge when used with a wireless HD connection and seven hours with an HDMI connection. You can even connect it to a mobile device for on-the-go film watching. You know, if that doesn't make you more of a target for getting mugged or walking into things. <laughs> um, we've obviously talked about the Oculus Rift and how we think it is, well, really it is the future of our games and how our interactions with this media is going to become. Yep. What do you think about Sony developing its own headset? I think it's awesome. You think so? I was really... Because when I first heard about the Oculus, I was assuming it was going to come to consoles. Right. And then we kind of found out that it's probably not going to. Right. At least not so, yet. Yeah. But if Sony's making one, then I don't care. Because mm -hmm. now I can use it. Right. I mean, I could use it for PC anyway. But Yeah, yeah. if you have, you know, like close to $2,000. Yeah. Obviously, this thing is a little overpriced. It does do some things that the Oculus Rift does not do. It's like, not going to cost that much when it's out, though. Right. And also, this is just designed for anything plugged via HDMI, whereas the Oculus Rift has to specifically be developed for the game. Otherwise, you might end up with some severe motion sickness due to the fact that it's not calibrated properly, and it's right. just not designed for that experience altogether. Right. Especially when it comes to things like movie viewing. I mean, obviously, we heard that there was that like movie theater app that they were developing for the Oculus Rift, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But the uh, the ability to connect to your mobile device, like, I don't, obviously I know that you don't do this much, but I've done this in the past where I've watched Netflix religiously on my phone. And right. it streams and is easy and perfect. And HBO Go and all these other apps, even Time Warner now, I can watch my Time Warner stuff straight on my phone. And I mean, or even... I mean, I guess I. who really wants to watch YouTube videos in a headset like this? I guess that's a little over the top. but You'd be the first. Yeah, right? But considering it's got so many different uses, and I, I guess the real positive to, to pull away from this is that anything that creates competition in the industry, you know, obviously this is the third generation, so the Oculus Rift came out well after this was even started in, in its, you know, heyday. Right. But the Oculus Rift is doing something in quite a spectacular fashion that this had to be updated if it was going to even meet or compete with. I don't know. I, I guess uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. Although at the same time, 
do I think that many PlayStation 3 or PlayStation potential PlayStation 4 owners are going to care about something like this? I don't know. No. Nope. People love their HD TVs. It's iffy, I yeah. think, personally. I, I mean, mean, I I don't even like TVs. I play all my games on monitor. Right. I just right. I, to me there there is a clear difference. Some people don't notice it, but um but I mean <laughs> VR over over a screen, hell yeah. Yeah. With everything. I mean, I guess the difference is that you always play on something small. I haven't gamed on anything less than a 46-inch screen in like seven years. <laughs> right. And because of that, I don't, I, I sit three feet from a 46-inch screen. That might as well be an Oculus in lots of ways. Right. You know, aside from yeah. the fact that I'm not literally in the environment and turning my head and the screen turns and things like that, mm-hmm. I'm still in the experience just as much as someone that would be wearing the oculus is for lots of different purposes right uh depending on the game of course so i don't really know if sony really doing their own thing matters to me as much as it brings up the potential idea that obviously they're going to be suitors looking to pick up the oculus now you know um because if sony's got their own microsoft is going to want to have some sort of same kind of peripheral for sure are they going to start development on their own thing that would cost millions of dollars out of nowhere just because there seems to be a market they forgot to breach which is yeah plus i mean imagine the games that would be able to come out for uh connect plus vr right i mean that would just be insane yeah so as with previous versions of the hmz the t3 works with pcs and the playstation 3 for gaming however the hmz range is separate to the PlayStation 4 compatible virtual reality headset that they have in the works. So we know about this. We know about this particular headset, but it's not even the one for PlayStation 4 at this point. Right. This is really for PC and PlayStation 3. So we've heard from the Oculus dev, I can't find the article exactly because I'm failing right now and I'm really tired, but they said that they basically there were suitors lining up and they've had many offers on the table but it's something that they are not interested in it is simply not an option right now huh. they consider themselves to be a startup they're they have an end goal in sight with what they're working on and obviously with john carmack as the ceo right or the coo right now i'm sure he's not looking to just sell the company to somebody um right. and also they they see themselves as a broader future than just for one company you know and to be owned by Microsoft would mean it wouldn't work with Macs, it wouldn't work with Nintendo or Sony, and right. there there are so many restrictions that would be put on it by being owned by a single company. And right now, they have the freedom to just walk up to devs and be like, you want to make your stuff work on this? Right. Yeah? Yeah. And um, this gives them the opportunity to uh, kind of take it in the direction that they want to as mm-hmm. well, with obviously a power that you give John Carmack, you yeah. get amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. As far as the Oculus Rift is concerned, so we have a number of things related to the Oculus Rift. First of all, we had announced something really interesting, the Eve Valkyrie, previously known as the Eve VR tech demo, created for the Oculus Rift by five CCP employees in their spare time, Hmm. is a multiplayer space dogfighting game coming to the PC in 2014. It is currently being developed at CCP's Newcastle UK studio, though not much else is known at this time. There is obviously an announcement trailer, which I will put the link in the description because this is incredible. Yeah. 
looks amazing. Imagine, you remember that Star Wars arcade game? Do you remember that? It was like a TIE fighter game. Yes. That you used to sit down in and you were like at the controls <laughs> of the yeah, TIE fighter. I did. Or, well, at the X-Wing. Right. Was, was that what it was called? X-Wing something? Something like that, yeah. Rogue Squadron? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it does, yeah, doesn't I think, it? I think that was it, actually. Ah, oh, man. Regardless, the idea of space dogfighting has been around for forever, uh-huh. you know, and ever since... You know, movies like Star Wars and and other sci-fi titles of the past have really explored this. We've all wanted to play this kind of an experience. Right. And Eve is incredible. It's a huge world. It's really well done. But what if you're not looking for that kind of an RTS in a way, which Uh is kind of the design of it, you know? Instead of that, now you have the ability to, in, in real time, fly in first person through space, battling in these dogfights. In VR. (sighs) <sighs> amazing it's incredible i mean i i feel like it's going to get to a point where i wonder if your brain is going to like have shock and like emotional feelings from like the idea of dying in one of those like <laughs> like if you like, Start free, like sweating and like yeah, yeah like or or for that matter what if somebody like clips you with a laser shot or something and you're like spinning out of control and like flying toward a sun or something and like do you think that like your brain is going to interpret that like you're literally going to die like this, <laughs> these are your last moments maybe yeah that would be wild i mean they, they could take it to the next level if they had some kind of like a um gyrosphere that you sat in yeah like that's going to be like the next iteration of arcades yeah for sure is stuff like this i wonder if the arcade will make a comeback and have things like this in it it would be a really really expensive arcade yeah that would would have you sign insurance waivers as soon as you step in (laughs) they give you like yearly memberships and stuff yeah Yeah. right it'd be like planet fitness but for (laughs) the oculus vr planet oculus uh i play it and then i put it down yeah (laughs) uh so virtuix now is uh taking pre-orders on the virtual reality omnidirectional treadmill now this Mm. When you look at the image, it looks kind of goofy. It looks like something one of the senators in Star Wars stands on when addressing the rest of the Senate. <laughs> oh, one yeah? of those like floating things. Um, but so, you know, we're moving closer and closer to in-home virtual reality with all of these devices. Yeah. We are also getting closer and closer to the potential of harming ourselves due to wearing <laughs> said devices. <laughs> I can only imagine the number of cases in the news of people that are going to be falling downstairs or like seriously injuring themselves Broken in one way or another. Yeah. Like so, someone stuff. had a meme on the internet that was like, I broke all the lamps. And it was just like a guy with his arms <laughs> spread out and an Oculus on his head. Uh, <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Um, so you can head over there right now. Uh, to, to head over to their website right now to reserve it and it is it's going for 400 oh wait you can get the omni and one pair of the necessary shoes for 499 dollars, or you can opt for two devices with three pairs of shoes for only 1019 dollars. oh only yeah not bad <laughs> to go ahead and put your money down you can head over to their website the treadmill will be heading to consumers in March of 2014, giving you plenty of time to train. Wow. I, that's interesting, I suppose. There is a video to see it in action. I will also put that in the description. It's crazy how this stuff is just around the corner. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it's finally here. It's severely out of the casual consumer's price range. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's even out of the technology lover's price range. <laughs> like, we would love to own one of these things. I'm going to their website right now. The dual package. Who needs that? Why would you need two of them and three pairs of shoes Just for, for multiplayer have... action? Uh, in case you have four feet. <laughs> it literally says that. It's like, for multiplayer action, do this. There's a harness, too? <laughs> there you go. No broken lamps. Yeah. <laughs> I saved all the lamps. <laughs> so there's a Virtuix Omni harness also available on the site for the low low price of $79 that says harness for safety and mobility while using the Virtuix Omni Nash natural motion interface. I feel like you're not really buying a harness, you're like buying insurance. Yeah. <laughs> insurance on your rib cage and all the lamps. <laughs> I uh I'm not exactly sure what to think of this thing the more I look at it. I mean, it doesn't look very practical by any means. It looks like, like you were saying, like arcades could do something like this. Like mm. instead of DDR, now you <laughs> have these platforms. And right. You step up onto them, put your headset on, and do whatever. You know, you play Eve, you play Half-Life 2, you play Outlast, which is downright terrifying that would be absolutely terrifying in vr yes which by the way i have a video that i will also leave in the description that is pretty fantastic and it is a video explaining why the oculus should have an instant pause in the event that you ever need to quickly rip the headset off of your head <laughs> that's good i it, like it it will all make sense when you watch the video so now you can virtually skydive using Endream's experimental Oculus Rift demo. And yak. Yes. There's a, a, a title called what? Like, ah, 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 yeah. like that's literally the name yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the out. game. It's a skydiving That's simulation. the name of the game. <laughs> that's the name of the game. <laughs> what game was that? It was a song by um, Fatboy Slim, right? That's the name of the game. It's a video game soundtrack, too. What game is that in? Do you even know? No, 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 no. Don't even look it up. If you know the answer to this question, since we're stumped <laughs> on the air right now, I'm curious as to if anyone knows this off the top of their head. Yeah, tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at us, because I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a mental block. I keep thinking that it, it's like the, I want to take them off a ride. And I don't think that's the same song. <laughs> no. And, and I think that one was from Marvel versus Capcom. It's like, burr, 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 yeah. Burr, 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 burr. So, anyway, skydiving, a new experimental demo for both Oculus Rift and regular displays, is challenging users to virtually free fall from an airplane. The demo, which was announced from UK studio In Dreams, N Dreams, is in the early stages of development. However, the team has released an early version for user feedback. We want to make this thing into something amazing, astonishing, awe-inspiring, and other A-related adjectives, <laughs> said a studio representative in his prepared statement. Your input is going to be invaluable as we grow this thing. Is it a game? We sure don't know yet. And that is the exciting thing about this. Seriously, we're tingling with the sheer possibilities. Who wrote this man's script, by the way? This is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I've never heard a press release sound quite so over the top. He's so excitable. Yeah, right? So, with the release of this demo, they also announced new competition asking users to create and submit a video that involves the demo. Which, by the way, I didn't realize this. It's called Skydiving with D-I-E in the middle. Skydiving in caps. Oh, boy. 
well, that seems like foreshadowing. Yeah. The winner, based in the UK, so if you're in the UK, you can do this, will receive a chance to tandem skydive with the international winner set to receive Amazon vouchers to the value of 150 pounds. Hmm. Interesting. You can download the demo visiting their official website. So not many people really have the Oculus, so that's not really an option. Although there is an awesome video that I will also link in the description of a man who has suspended himself from, I believe, a tree and a swing set so that he could fully experience the act of free falling and skydiving in this demo. (laughs) And stomach cleansing. Yeah. I'm sure that was an interesting one. Once again, do you think that there could come a point where your brain just acknowledges it as fact like especially when you're like falling like that like like could you could your brain start thinking yeah i'm really falling to my death right now yeah it might it's interesting i mean i i have a friend who got motion sickness from playing gears of war really yeah to me it's kind of interesting i mean you know if she's gonna have those kinds of trouble with that game she could not handle something like that oh no how does she handle any game if gears of war is too much i she you know um puke bag i guess <laughs> she plays like castle crashers and wow and you know stuff like that oh uh, well i mean at least she's playing wow that's cool yeah not anymore actually she is now designing her own game like she has no oh, programming really? knowledge but she she's such an incredible artist and um I, I i see like every day there's a facebook status update with some incredible uh digital painting that she's made of some kind of a creature and you know, she she describes the uh, what it does and how it lives and how it fights and that kind of stuff. And okay. It's just fun to see people doing that, you know? Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of potential for people to make games that don't know anything about the actual game development, for right. that matter. You know, take, for example, there's a guy that I follow on, on Twitter who I've made friends with thanks to listening to his podcast, The National Pastime. Uh, he's at Proto Melvin, and he constantly talks with me uh about like podcast and gaming stuff and lately he's been showing off his new artwork like he was just drawing some characters and some kind of like japan anime kind of okay uh artwork and it was like a a character with like a giant pencil or something like that fighting i don't know it was a cute (laughs) character it was pretty cool nice and he said that you know he originally meant to start work on like the uh game itself or something like that and then he got in started writing like backstories and started like mm-hmm. creating this whole like world for this character and stuff and Sounds it's like, like that would be me yeah, yeah you know it's like he doesn't necessarily know how to make a game 100 percent, but he has an artistic vision to like put these things down and start combining all these elements and creating the world that they exist in and stuff right. and i think that's pretty awesome yeah it is also i will leave a link to his uh he's he's entering a scholarship contest right now to go to school to do this kind of stuff and so he's got an animation up right now that you can vote on and all you have to do is log in with your facebook or twitter and it automatically votes for you that is it it doesn't contact you again that is all it's just a way to tally votes and that's how they determine who's doing well and it's all based on social media response so so far my mom has voted for him and shared it on Facebook. Huh. She doesn't even know who he is, which I think is really hilarious, by the way. Is, so, how did she come across that? I posted it on Facebook. Oh, okay. Good for her. Patty Finley is a saint. Yeah, she really is, you know. 
So Oculus Rift game programmer Teddy Lipowitz, whose cover-based Hydra-utilizing shooter, which we talked about the Hydra once before, is one of the coolest prototypes we've seen so far for this headset. He has unveiled his latest project now, a real-time tower defense strategy game for the Oculus. That is interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Using an Oculus VR headset and his own Hydra deck control scheme, which involves strapping one Hydra mission controller to your chest and holding another in your hand, the RTS lets you look down upon a castle you must defend against wave of attacking, uh, waves of attacking robots. You can issue commands to guards positioned on the castle's various walls and towers and can gain new vantage points by squatting down, effectively shrinking down your perspective to that of your miniature troops. That is really, really cool. It's really interesting, right? Like it's, it's weird a, to see the applications of this. You yeah. Know? You wouldn't expect that. And, and yet here it is. And it's a totally different kind of way to approach an RTS. Yeah. Or a tower defense game. So like you're looking at it like God mode, like you always do in any tower defense game. And you're like, you know what? I need to zoom in to help my troops and stuff. So you crouch down and it all, the game realizes that you've crouched and now you're zooming into the battlefield and like <laughs> becoming so one cool. on the battlefield. That is so cool. So there is another video that I will also link in the description. Lots of videos to watch if you're paying attention to this episode at all. Um, but that that is also pretty cool. And that uh, the you can check out the demo above or if you've got the prerequisites hardware, which almost none of you do. If you have the Oculus, by the way, and you're listening to this, please tell us. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Um, but you can download directly from their developer's site, which is pretty awesome. Last but not least in our Oculus news, we have the Prio VR. Tell us more, Joe. <laughs> the Prio VR is a full-body VR kit for the Oculus Rift. Uh-huh. So we've talked before about things like the Hydra that are meant to kind of, I guess, implement movement. And uh, we've talked about the air reel that basically alerts your body to believe that there are walls where there aren't walls by giving you force feedback from air jets. Right. You know, things to help uh, the experience not just be a visual experience, but really like bring your body into focus with right. it. So this is kind of, kind of ridiculous, but also very, very awesome. So where devices like the Omni treadmill require a large setup and makes you feel like you're actually walking in a game, the Prio VR uses a series of sensors strapped to your body. So YEI has spent years working on affordable sensors capable of reading body movements and transmitting those motions to software. And thanks to the Oculus Rift, the company realized those nodes could be used for VR, meaning you can wear the headset and engage in an in-game sword fight with your actual arm swings and kicks. That is cool. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah, basically. And you were wondering if the Kinect could do it for you. But now right. you could do it with the Oculus. Now it's it's almost like mocap, you know? Yeah. That is really, really cool. Yeah, and instead of like kind of imagining that your body is part of it, you will see the movements of your own arms and legs in front of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the Kickstarter campaign is seeking $225,000 in funding. I'm pitching in. And as of this episode, it has officially reached $52,000 of its $225,000 mark. How long does it have? It has 36 days left to come okay. up with the other $175,000. Yeah, I'm pitching in. And it's, as far as I can tell, it's only been, it's been talked about over the last week. So uh, I really hope that something like this takes off. 
So the demonstration shown in the video above, which we will link in the description, <laughs> appear to offer one-to-one -one responses to the player's actions, including walking around and kneeling down in an environment. A $450 early bird pledge will get you a light version of the dev kit, while a pro version, read more sensors, costs $625. Yes, it's expensive. And yes, when coupled with the Oculus Rift headset, it's impossible to not look like a total goober. <laughs> but if the Prio VR actually works as described, it's the beginning of something potentially exciting. Yes, potentially. Potentially. It is literally the one thing that you... verbiage. Yes. What would you describe it as? It's just, for me, I mean, it's... It is the next evolution of games. Yeah. So much more so than... I mean, it's going to make the television look like uh, what it is, a console, or... It's going to make the the television look like what it is, yeah. which is a one age of gaming. Yeah. That's going to be over and done with. And we're going to have something so much more incredible. Ten years from now, we're going to be like, you're watching two-dimensional images on a flat screen? Ugh. You held a dumb controller. It was in your so head, archaic. Dicks around. Oh God. I mean, I think it's interesting because take for example, you know, people that want to be kung fu masters or awesome sword mad <laughs> can now break all the lamps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, like, say I want to go into that, okay, and I want to. Like, I play all my games on the hardest difficulty. Uh -huh. Will I learn something and get better at this game? Or will I, since I have no sword fighting skills, will I just get slaughtered every time I encounter a battle? I think you'll just lose some weight and break some lamps. <laughs> but I wonder, gaming is supposed to be an escape. Or is seen be. as an escape for many people. Right. If not most, I guess right. we could say. you know. And to, I've certainly experienced it that way. Yeah, me too. And to jump into something, an experience like this, what is this going to mean exactly? Does this mean that like people that are potentially overweight or confined to a wheelchair or any of the above won't be able to experience this game and won't be able to experience quite what's awesome about this quite as much as someone who is athletically fit and capable? True. And here's the other interesting flip side of that. Okay. Um... Our buddy Mike, Mr. Mike, recently uh, posted on our Facebook wall asking if we ever think that games will be used as therapy. Yeah. Now, I work, as I've said, I work with the developmentally disabled. A lot mm -hmm. of them have horseback riding therapy mm, because they okay. sit up on this tall horse so they kind of can look at the world from this um, aerial view. Interesting. And so it gives them a sense of, like, they have power. Okay. You know what I mean? So I almost feel like you know, a person who's confined to a wheelchair, there could be a certain game or way to design the game so that, so that they could play it in a way that could be therapeutic for them. I mean, imagine uh, a person in a wheelchair who's playing a VR version of Mirror's Edge. Oh, wow. Like, that would be an incredible experience for them. Yeah. You know? So maybe it'll go down that route. That'd be awesome. I guess the potential for the Oculus is that it could do those things. However... I guess things like specifically the Prio VR is like designed for people that are already capable. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, sure. Of course. It's always. Unless you have some it's, awesome it's like wheelchair game <laughs> and, you know, someone in a wheelchair can then have their motions. Oh, we don't need 
Oh. All the potential <laughs> disasters of the future, all thanks to these games. <laughs> because without the treadmill, it's obviously going to be an epic disaster of monumental proportions. Well, there were those guys, uh, remember that documentary, uh, Murder Ball? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys wouldn't shy away from a little, uh, you know, falling off the VR treadmill here a, and there. A little mayhem. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, I broke all the lamps. An interesting comment on the IGN page, by the way, that I thought was funny was someone put v- Prio VR plus Oculus Rift plus Omni equals Promniculus Rift full immersion. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's an expensive setup for sure. I mean, we're not even exactly sure how much the Oculus is going to cost when it's finally released. Yeah, that's true. And then you have that plus you have the treadmill itself. Yeah. Which, if you want a multiplayer gaming experience, it's over a thousand dollars, or it's five hundred straight Two up right there. On tra- <laughs> oh god, how is that? Let's, let's not even talk about that. Yellow videos <laughs> abound. Oh no. So five hundred dollars for the treadmill. Let's say five hundred dollars for the Oculus, which they did say eventually they want to have subsidized. Yeah. So it'll be right. free be eventually. Maybe um, free. Quote they unquote. could like bundle those two things. Right. Right. If they work, if they were to work together, and then you have the Prio VR. Which, of course, is, you know, it's, it's looking to be kickstarted right now. So we don't know exactly how much it'll cost. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying that an early bird pledge, 450 gets you the light version, 625 gets you the more sensors. So 625 plus 500 plus 500. Ugh, you're looking at 17 to $1,800 for this gaming yeah, rig. It's, it's crazy. And that's not even counting the console it hooks up to or the PC that it hooks up to. Yeah. And so it's going to be a lot. It's going to be um, definitely something for the gamer who has a little bit of money to spend. Right. And if these arcades ever exist in the future, bring your credit cards, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either way, the future is expensive, which is interesting because we were just reading an article saying the future is free. Mm. Yes. Which, of course... We need to get talking to Alan about that. Oh, so we're not going to bring it up now? No. Shucks. But would have been okay. a nice little segue. It would have been a nice little segue. Alas. <laughs> Another time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Another day. Which, by the way, I do want to get my buddy Alan on. I know I've said this about 1,800 million times, uh, which is probably hyperbole. Uh, <laughs> but once GTA Five is released, there is a lot more that he can say. That'll be fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, right now, he's got a tiptoe. Every time I ask him a question about something, he's got a, eh, well, the lawyers wouldn't appreciate me saying blah, 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 Unless I, you know, preface it with the views of this individual do not uh, represent the views of Rockstar North or... So here's what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, not to mention the lawyers would probably just can his ass and you know sue him for libel and damages if you were to say anything properly wrong right so properly wrong that's that's a great oxymoron we should probably cut all that actually just for alan's own sake Eh, i'll leave it in this is an interesting episode we'll see how that goes so it's time to address you the listeners and what you'd like to hear your host talk about Remember, you can send your questions slash comments to us by way of emailing us at IRLGameChat at gmail.com or by tweeting us at IRLGameChat. First, Greg Boynton posted on our Facebook page and he said, Joe and Luke, I was recently discussing the new Rome Total War segment with y'all. I had pointed out that I still play the original, mods included, of course, 
Do you believe that due to the extended period of time it has taken to create and complete the making of this game, will it truly be worthy of immediate purchase? And if so, will it be more difficult than the original? I love this franchise, and I hope there are more ideas in the works from Creative Assembly. Well, the first way to answer that question is, um, I would say, Greg, play it. Because you have sunk so much time into this game that um, I feel like you'd be a good judge of whether things have changed, you know. Um, speaking from my own personal star, uh, experience with, um, StarCraft 2, um, I, you know, I've put so much time into that game that I've kind of learned the little nuances of it. And I feel like, um, you would be the person who could comment on something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, basically, w- what I'm saying is, I don't think that I could answer that question just by watching gameplay videos. Yeah. Cause I haven't put, you know, the hundreds of hours into it, um, that you have. Right. I will start by saying this. Rome, Total War Rome 2 looks to be a terribly ambitious game. We've watched some demo trailers. We've watched uh, one of the devs actually play out an entire battle and, mm-hmm. and get absolutely obliterated in, in the cruelest fashion possible. Like he did everything wrong, basically. He's pretty funny about it, too. Yeah, he was like, I'm never going to live this down. Oh, no. <laughs> um, As his general's yelling at him. We have unfortunately heard about a number of actual technical issues with this game. Right. And it has come to the point now. Uh, so this past Friday, uh, the first patch was released, announced by Creative Assembly. The update aims to tackle hardware related issues and address balancing and AI routines. Quote unquote. At Creative Assembly, we are very pleased with the response to Rome 2, with hundreds of thousands of players enjoying the game so far. But we do know that, as with all large PC releases, the variety of hardware and general system specifications can cause issues for some people, and we are urgently working in help, working to help get them the right experience. So, we, we saw some pretty ridiculous glitches. Some... <laughs> Boats appearing out of land or crash landing Entire into land. On meth. Yes. The faces are terrifying. <laughs> We've seen people walking like Egyptians, like walk like an Egyptian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, across the ground for across no reason. A whole bunch of dead bodies. We've seen entire armies flying through the air, uh, which I will post a link in the description as well to an awesome link of all of these glitches. Uh, it it's pretty funny as, as as terrible as it is to say that it's funny it uh it's interesting i guess because uh this game obviously has been in the works for a long time and yes it is a hugely ambitious game and they said that you know obviously there will be some issues and um it it suffered a strategic blow when players reported game ba- game breaking bugs and this was quote unquote totally un- unacceptable creative director mike simpson said in the total war forums simpson outlined their approach to fixing these issues including the plan to release a patch one week every week until every bug is obliterated hmm. one patch is already live obviously simpson said it's only 2% of players that reported technical issues and that itself was too many quote unquote We just wanted to reassure you that we do know it's an extremely annoying and frustrating time for some of you at the moment, and we are working around the clock to sort some of the issues that you are having. To these people, we are very sorry that you are having these problems. We really want you to get enjoying our game. Please do take the time to post your issue in the support forum if there isn't a fix for you available in there already. 
Simpson urged players encountering problems to hit up the support forums. So in reviews of the game that I checked, and I checked it on Metacritic, and I've read reviews by Joystick, Polygon, IGN, all sorts of different reviewers, the number one things that I keep hearing about are all things that are not potentially the end of the world for this game. All things that are, yeah, they're serious technical issues and things that really pull you out of the game or even break the game for you that you cannot beat it or cannot complete it. Right. But they're all things that can be fixed via patch. So the fact that they are addressing this issue, they're acknowledging that they've unfortunately had these issues and that they really want to make the take the right approach you know to um be on the forefront of fixing everything and not just sit back and let people complain and this is this isn't like SimCity. this isn't like diablo 3 where launches were just absolutely terrible and so many players were affected that they just wanted refunds right it's not that bad we're i mean it is pretty bad for two percent of the player base yeah, the game was planned well. Right. And if it um if it were to execute the way that was that it was designed, it would be great. The problem right now is it's just suffering from some bugs and glitches. Right. Will it live up to the game that you know and love? Only time will tell. Really, like Luke said, you're gonna have to experience it for yourself and we'd love your input on that. Yeah. Because we're not playing Total Rome Total War Rome to ourselves, but we have heard great things about this game. And it is a game that when you watch the videos, it's easy to see why someone would be interested in this sort of a game. I would love to play it, except that it would be all that I played <laughs> yeah. for like years. Yeah, right. <laughs> and seeing as I'm on a video game podcast, that's uh, not really something I can commit to. Yeah. They said some of the achievements there were, you know, conquering basically all of Europe and things like that. It's not That's not the end game of the game, but the game doesn't just end. It's not like, okay, you beat the campaign, you're done. You can choose how far you want to go with your rule and with your kingdom that you're creating, essentially. Right. Yeah. And because it's a God of God game almost in that in that kind of sense. Yeah. It's way more open world and open ended than most games of this sort, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time there is an end game and that is just the end of the game easily. And this game is very different in that way. So give it a shot. See what you think. If you're encountering technical issues, remember every week there will be a new patch. Things will be fixed in the future if you have any issues. Yep. Studio's working hard. Yes. The last thing I wanted to address is much less a question or a suggestion, but just a simple comment from our buddy Mike, who posted on our blog on the actual episode page for episode 13, and he said... Great show, guys. I actually do enjoy Dead Space 1. I mean, you're in space. You shouldn't be able to have agility, which results in a new combat style. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for appreciating it in that, in that <laughs> grain. Um, because a lot of people were like, this game's clunky. It sucks. And I actually heard some people say, you know, part of the horror um, comes from the fact that you're, you kind of feel constrained. Like mm. the control system isn't that great. Right. And that's kind of what makes it scary. So in a way, maybe it is good. Yeah. And that that was kind of part of it that I really appreciated, especially in those moments of like zero G in the mm-hmm. first game, you know, when you'd enter areas where entire walls and things have been blown out so there was no compression to yep. the air. And, and you'd kind of walk a little like lumpier because you had to, you know, you had to actually like suck your shoes to the floor. Yeah. And, or yeah. Boots or whatever. And, and jump it, from it panel was to panel. Different 
with that game because every game past that you were like completely mobile and you just mm-hmm. had like a jetpack on your back basically and right. you could fly around in any direction you wanted to and not to say that that was a bad thing i think that there was a lot of frustration with those zero g platforming elements and things like that mm-hmm. but i appreciated them because they really forced you to rethink your play style and your approach to the level and your approach to the monsters that were coming at you. Right. And a really neat boss fight that kind of incorporates that zero G that just wouldn't be possible in dead space two and three. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Mike, I'm so glad you're enjoying that game. (laughs) Cause like I told you, it is my favorite IP. I, I love, love, love dead space. Yeah. Right. And and you said you turned or Mike was telling me that you turned him on to playing dead space one actually. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, about to leave the house actually and I, I saw him outside my door so i said hey we got to talking and then i um we we're talking about video games you know and I, I showed him my collection and uh so i let him comb through and uh looking for something that, that he wanted and he ended up you know just saying well, why don't you suggest something to me hmm. so i was like okay here you go <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah so yeah i uh i hope you continue to love it mike as much as we did and i hope that you are consistently terrified and I hope that you return it soon to get Dead Space 2. Yeah, absolutely. And if you beat that and then never want to give Dead Space 3 a try, eh, we're okay with that. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a shame to say that, really, you know, in a franchise that you really enjoy. But that's like saying, hey, I really enjoyed Resident Evil 1. And you're like, okay, so how far are you going to go? You know, you get you can just stop before resident evil 5 right <laughs> you can just cut it out you know actually mike i will play dead space 3 with you online if you want to it's just it's not the dead space that you're going to know and love mm-hmm. but maybe it'll be fun in co-op yeah we're going to give it a shot and we never ended up doing that yeah unfortunately there are a bunch of games we're going to play together we do know that visceral is currently in the works on something for next gen are they so we'll see about that good stuff yeah i would like to see a new dante's inferno Dante's Inferno, that's a good one, too. You know, I really, really loved that game. A lot of people hated it. And I, um, I thought, I'm i not sure if I talked about this on the podcast before, but um, the art style is so disgustingly creative. Yeah, seriously. And, like, you know, all of the uh, fallen souls from each circle of, of um, uh, hell, mm-hmm. uh, they the way that they look and the way that they attack you really corresponds with like their unforgivable sin. Yeah. You know, so it's so neat to just see them take this Christian mythology and really, um, just put their creative minds to work Mm -hmm. in thinking like, what would the deepest, darkest hell really look like? Yeah. And I think that they crafted a really nasty, brutal picture. Yeah. I, uh, I think the game, it may have been hampered a little bit by the fact that it was a little too much of a button masher, mm-hmm. considering the depth of its story and the beauty to the game itself. Right. I really felt that it could, especially when it comes to story, compete with a game like God of War. But sure. even but even God of War is less of a button masher than Dante's Inferno yeah. in, in many ways. You know, yeah. uh, chaining combos and things like that is something that you really look forward to in God of War and using utilizing multiple attacks and different weapons, but not so much in Dante's Inferno. I was a little disappointed by the combat, just to be honest. The combat is not, yeah, it's not good. You can really get away with spamming the um, cross attack yeah. in almost any situation. <laughs> and you can pretty much stay airborne like the entire time. Yeah, it's true. So it's kind of cheap. Yeah, but the story is really what hooked me. And it was the way that they they didn't just take some 
cheesy level design and just be like, oh, you're just blowing through these things. Right, the the actual like CG film aspect of it was really, really interesting. And I really appreciate what they put together there. Yeah. So I'm going to play that again before next gen. Yeah. Yeah. So we have GTA 5 coming up soon. The last thing that I wanted to get to, Max Roberts, good friend Max, he did say that on Twitter, he uh, he asked me, if he could only pick one with his money, what does he buy? GTA 5 or Beyond Two Souls? Man, what do you think? That kind of feels like a, it would be a tough one for a lot of people. For me, it's not quite so hard. Um, I would definitely go with Beyond Two Souls. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I would get more out of that kind of a game. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of game, too, because it appeals to a lot of different audiences. David Cage recently was talking about it and saying that he found that... Uh, there were so many people that were non-gamers that appreciated Heavy Rain for the aspect that they wanted to sit and just watch someone play the game. Yeah. And I've witnessed this right. firsthand, but I thought it was funny for him to say that, like study groups even found that evidence that people wanted to sit there and be like, oh no, do this next. Oh, do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like directing the person that was playing, even if they themselves were not playing. Right. It's so much like reading a book or watching a movie. Yeah. You know? So interestingly enough, there's going to be a two-player experience to Beyond Two Souls. The, the second player, using a tablet, can control Aiden through the entire game. No way. Yeah. Uh, that adds an enormous dimension to it. It's that interesting, I didn't even right? know they were trying to explore. Yeah. Because, I mean, he is... Uh, because, I mean, David Cage is so specific in what right. he does. Like, he wants complete player choice Mm -hmm. and you know okay when it's a single player game that's feasible yeah this seems like it's way outside that realm yeah there's there's gonna have to be a bit of cooperative uh like gameplay between you two you know if like one person is well first of all aiden is chained to you by a certain distance so like if you need aiden to do something you need to get within the distance that aiden can travel to do it so if you need aiden to take out this enemy that's shooting at you and you're too far away as Ellen Page's character, Jody, you're going to have to find ways to get closer so that Aiden can then utilize what he does best. Right. So it's interesting. And because of the fact that there are multiple ways for it to play out, yeah, you're going to have to have both people on the same page for sure. If one person's like, no, I'm going to go do this as Aiden and the other person's like, no, 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 no. I need you to do this instead. It could result in some pretty hectic gameplay. <laughs> yeah, that it's, could break the immersion. Some too. odd moments. It could be the most interesting co-op experience ever to happen in gaming, though, too, because of the right. difference in the characters and the way that you control each. Like someone will be using a DualShock Three, someone will be using a tablet. You know? Yeah, I'm curious to know, like, who's directing the action? Yeah, you know, is it Aiden or is it like if we go back to you know the old school days of. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. which I never played, but I hear that you would have like a dungeon master who was kind of in charge of everything that was going on. Yeah, yeah, you would. And then there are people that, that were playing um, according to that person's rules. Yeah. So I wonder if, if like Aiden would be like that guy or if it would be. It's hard to say. I mean, Jody basically directs what's going on, but without Aiden's help, she can die or get into some really mucky situations. You know? Well, that's interesting. Will there be a game over screen then in this game? No. Because David Cage has always said that there will be no, no right. such thing. He did say that 
if anything, it'll just cause further scenarios to exist that might not exist on other people's playthroughs, number one. And number two, there is somehow a way for her to die. We don't know how that happens. Hmm. We'll see. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's your your bet right there. Uh-huh. It's hard for me to say. I'm going to be simple about it, though, because I've already talked with Max about this. I'm tied between the two. I would rather not get a PS4 and get both games. Because huh. from what I'm hearing from Alan about character development, about mo-capping, from what I'm hearing each day we get more news about GTA, it's epic size, it's mission variety, it's world that it exists in. I don't know. I can't tie my, tear myself between them. I guess if I absolutely had to, I would just flip a coin. I can't be that guy. Really? It's rough. Wow, because you're really, really excited for Beyond Two Souls. I am, really. But when I think about the incredible amount of gameplay that will come out of gta online right like i can't that that is like a skyrim-esque mmo or like world of warcraft like i could play that forever with my crew you know like (laughs) who who knows what the limits are of that you know and so beyond two souls is a completely different page you know (laughs) um (laughs) so so yeah, that's it. So thanks guys for your submissions and I hope that you liked our responses. To be a part of the conversation, please feel free to submit your own ideas and questions. Well, ladies and gents, that'll do it for episode 14 here on IRL Game Chat. As always, if you're listening to us, thank you. And remember that you're not just a listener, you're also our friend. Yay. So feel free to hit us up anywhere you can find us on the interwebs. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please take a moment of your time to give us a rating and review We'd really appreciate it. It would help us a lot. Yes, immensely. We want to get out to as many people as possible. You want to see us grow. You want to see us prosper and continue to be awesome. So, yes. And you can find us on Stitcher. Yay, Stitcher. Yeah. There's a link on our website. Links, links, links. Links. And I point my hands like a crazy person every time I say I put a link in the description. (laughs) I wish you could see it. Just emphasize the point, yeah. On Twitter, I am Mr. Spud Winters, and Luke is Level Up Luke. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash IRL Game Chat. Until next time. Thanks for listening, guys. And game on.
Wow, you load slowly. Oh, it's because it's the IGN webpage. IGN, why does your webpage suck so much? It takes like 18 years to load. It's the only website on the entire internet that struggles on my laptop. Yeah, plus their video player is worse than the IGN video player. Yeah. <laughs> well done. 